On Second Shot, we cover two new stories every week to find out what kind of wisdom the world is dishing out today. And at the heart of every one of these stories are people, just like you and me, who've had to overcome incredible odds, to face the greatest challenges, to struggle and fight back. But now, we're changing it up. In these episodes, we're skipping the headlines and going straight to the people that inspire us to grow, to be bold, seek change, and act courageously when the rest of the world may not. A second look, a second chance, a second shot. This is Second Shot Sit-Downs with your host, Jenny Anchondo. Welcome to another Second Shot Sit Down, where we talk to people who have had a major transformation in their lives and you know the second shots they've had along the way. I'm Jenny Anchondo, and I'm delighted to tell you about Madeline Hayden, who is a mama who had a problem. So she was pregnant, looking for a healthy non-dairy creamer that wasn't full of potentially harmful ingredients. And instead of waiting around, Madeline said, you know what, I'm just gonna make it myself. So she started a Kickstarter campaign back in the day. She raised $32,000 to start the brand today. Nut Pods is in more than 15,000 retail stores across the country. It's the number one dairy-free creamer on Amazon. She is all over the place, and I'm so excited to have her here today. Hey, Madeline, good to see you. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me today. Oh, my goodness. I have to say I was really excited when we connected because I've been a Nut Pods fan for a while and it was it's like been such a good solution for me and um, we kind of do dairy free around our house because of an allergy and it's just it's a brilliant thing you did but I want to take it back to when you very first um, started this whole thing I can only imagine life was chaotic and busy when you decided hey I think I'm gonna start this company absolutely and thanks so much for being a customer uh, our story really began with my love of coffee. Being from Seattle, I love a good cup of coffee. Could never take it black, but I'm lactose intolerant. And so everywhere I went, I was just faced with processed creamers, with artificial this, this, and that, or, you know, powdered non-dairy creamers. Yep. And so for, for me, I just was thinking, I was drinking a lot of almond milk at the time, and I just thought, surely there's gotta be something that has better ingredients, that doesn't have all of the added sugars. I actually had gestational diabetes too when I was pregnant. And so aside from all of the usual you know, ingredients of processed hydrogenated oils, I didn't wanna have all that added sugar. And so I, after waiting for a, a little while for the big boys, big food companies to come out with the product, yeah. I decided, you know, I've got to come up with something not only for, for me, but also for people like me where we don't really have options. And so it's just been a whirlwind story and it has gone so much further than I had ever conceived when I started this business. And I love how it changes people's lives. It's massive. And I'm thinking back on that phase in your life and thinking about what life was like. We have a, a four-year-old, almost five-year-old, and I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know if that's the ideal time to start a company, but apparently it was for you. What did that look like inside the home at the time? Well, I was pregnant. I was about to have my second daughter after an IVF journey. And I think for me, I just was so passionate that people like me not only wanted to have better options, but we deserve to have better options than powdered non-dairy creamers or processed creamers. And so for us, it was just really fueled by the fact that I wanted to create a product that would solve a market 
problem. And so whether or not you have an allergy like your family, whether or not you're lactose intolerant or have other medical conditions that make you move away from dairy, I really wanted to just focus on a product that would solve a product need. Sure. You know, it's healthier for you, but actually tastes delicious so you don't feel like you're making all these compromises in the name of health. So, gosh, after having gone through an IVF journey, too, I, I, gosh, I think of friends who have gone through that, and it's almost like during their pregnancy, they're even more, you know, particular than what would be. And then somebody says, oh, you have gestational diabetes, and there's all these restrictions on you. So you were really going through a lot. What had you, had you worked outside the home prior to this, or what was your, you know, sort of experience in, in starting a company, if, if any at all? I, I had no experience starting my company. This is the first time I've ever been a CEO. And before this, I actually worked in blood banking. Uh, I was working with coordinating blood drives around the community, supporting our area hospitals, working in medical devices, you know, helping to place automated uh, uh, external defibrillators into public places like stadiums and universities. And so always, always on the giving back to the community, helping uh, solve a, you know, a real need on the medical side. And so, but this company was really born out of not only my, my love of a, of a product that I thought would help a lot of people, but I created this, this business and this product really from the lens of a consumer. What type of product would I have wanted to buy and what kind of company would I have wanted to buy from as a consumer? And that's been my guiding light. Let's talk about logistics on this because you go from being an employee, right? Work, a working mom, but also very much an employee to being the boss. How did that go? So fortunately, whenever you're an entrepreneur, you get to learn uh, really quick by yourself because it's you, yourself, and I okay. for a while, but you're networking, you're in sponge mode, you're attending trade shows and, and all of the learnings that come along with the different trade shows and soaking them as much as you can and you're building your team slowly. And so, you know, you get to learn a little bit about how to lead, you get to learn a little bit about all the parts of your business, which is really essential. And so for us, it, it was really a fast journey. I mean, we only started selling in 2015 and we only started getting into retail into 2018. So while our journey has been really fast, it's been an amazing journey with a lot of wonderful people and retailers along the way that have just really come to love our brand, come alongside our brand, and really, you know, see what is special about Nut Pods. I think that so many of us have an interest in a story like this because we have an idea, but we're just not sure. Like, how do you get from idea point A to point B, C, D, E, F, G? You know, w which you've done successfully. What made you decide to start with a Kickstarter campaign? There are so there's so many different ways, right? You can, I mean, there's so many different ways to start the business or, or to get the money. Why'd you say, okay, Kickstarter is where it's at? Kickstarter is a great way for you to have proof of concept. So, you know, when you have an echo chamber of like, I think this really would solve a lot of market need and you test it out on your family and friends are like, yeah, I think it's a great idea. You know, Kickstarter is a way for you to try it out on strangers. Would they actually fund your Kickstarter campaign with money when they don't know you? And so what we learned from our Kickstarter campaign was actually people do care about having a healthier creamer. People don't want to have a lot of added sugars in their creamers. And surprise, it actually wasn't limited to just the U.S. We had international backers around the world that had expressed interest in our product. So I knew we were onto something. And so from there, 
you then have to go into just straight up learning mode and you're networking with people. You're learning about this entirely new industry. And it was fascinating and it was, you know, this is a great industry, food and beverage. There's a lot of consultants that will help guide you. There's a lot of advisors that came alongside that saw how passionate I was and seeing how this product could help people and wanted to be a part of that. And of course, you know, when we got into retail, being able to partner with some of our brokers and distributors to get our products into stores where you can get them today, you know, on Walmart to Target to Kroger to Whole Foods, it's really become a product that has broad market appeal because we taste great and we're healthier for you and it's an authentic brand story. I'm not a figurehead of a publicly held company. Sure. I'm just the one who started this brand um, from something that I, I really wanted to put out there in the world. I, I ask this question to all the moms that come on here because I have a genuine curiosity and I hope you'll level with us and get real with us and tell us the truth. Um, how, how does, um, what does your schedule look like as mom of two CEO? So being an entrepreneur is like being a farmer. It is not a job, it is a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So we don't, we don't clock in and clock out. Um, I get up typically around five, sometimes 3 a.m. I'm catching up on East Coast emails. I am getting a job on the day. Um, and then I take a couple hours break to get my kids dressed and get off to school. And then I get ready for work. After, you know, some days I'm, I'm on my schedule and I get a chance to work out and then I go into work and then I typically work until six, seven, take a break, you know, spend time with the kids, um, have dinner together. We still like to cook a lot and then hear about their world, hear about soccer, hear about mm-hmm. gymnastics mm-hmm. and mini nationals coming up. And then I am back on emails. And so the thing is, is that this is a little bit easy for me because it flows through my life because it's something that I believe in, something I love. And it's not just the products, but it's also the team that supports the brand. And so when you find something that you feel called to do and that you have an opportunity to do, you know, it just becomes a part of your life. And so, but there are other times where you have the flexibility where you can take time off, whether or not it is to be more active with your kids on special events or whether or not to take vacations, they get a chance to come with us to see to see how my life revolves too. And so they've come with me on photo shoots. They just came with me to a trip to New York. And so it can really be a wonderful way for, for us to learn from each other. Yeah, that, that yeah. is beautiful. And I think it's interesting for people to hear because sometimes when you're getting up at 5 a.m. to answer emails and you work for somebody, you think, you know what? Forget this. I want to work. For, I want to. I want to work for myself. And then we talk to people who work for themselves, and it's the same thing, right? You're you're still putting in. You're putting in. I'm I'm guessing. Is it more hours than when you were working at the blood bank? More intensity. Oh, more intensity. <laughs> absolutely. Because this is something that is mine. You yeah. know. And it's like as much as I believed in um, public access, AEDs, or adequate blood supplies, which there's a shortage right now. So go out and donate blood. You know, this is also something that has originated and I'm my name is on every package, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. I'm extremely proud of our product and what we do and how we give back as a company. That's also important to me too. Okay. Looking back, what has been the hardest part of this journey? Um, you know, for from the beginning, from from that initial thought to where you are now. 
So I would say the first time that I thought about giving up was formulation. So it took us two years to formulate our product. And we were trying multiple, multiple trials. And the reason why it was hard was because we were doing something that wasn't on the marketplace. We were the first to be an almond coconut blend. We were the first to be um, certified, non-GMO project verified, vegan, gluten-free, kosher, whole 30. Totally. Like, well, to have all these great ingredients with that transparency really limited the amount of products you could use. And then lastly, we were unsweetened. And sugar is a huge flavor enhancer. So being able to sell a product that still tastes good without the mask of sugar is very challenging. And it's also a product that is very technical because it has to work in iced coffee, super hot coffee. It has to be you know, working with blonde roast, medium roast, dark roast. And so it's a very, um, it's a variable temperature state. It's 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 something that it's hard to have a natural product work in so many different you know types of occasions and temperaments. But we were able to do that, and so but it was hard. Yeah, and but what we, was that uh, like? I'm imagining Madeline these these conversations where you're like, okay, this is my vision, this is my dream. And you're so excited, and you send it to the manufacturer, and they're like, no, 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 maybe no, no. And and then you're like, well, what do you do? Do you find a new manufacturer? Do you say please? Do you give them more money? <laughs> well, what's the move? So that $32,000 we raised in the Kickstarter came and went in our very first trial between packaging and the in the run. And we went on to have 22 more like failed trials plus many, many other bench stops. It was very frustrating because it seems so simple. We just want to have a healthier non-dairy creamer. Right, and, why is that so hard? <laughs> And, and I kept telling myself, it's not like we're making an iPhone or going to Mars. Like, we just need to take the sugar out and take out all the artificial this and that. And so, but that, um, I, I would say naivety actually served me because I didn't know how hard it was going to be. So I kept thinking, we're just going to get around the corner. We're getting closer. And so we did finally get there, but it was very hard. And no, you don't go to a manufacturer because the first thing they ask is, what is your commercial recipe? And you're like, I don't have one. And they're like, we'll come back and after you've done the work. And so you have to go out and commercially formulate what you created in your kitchen. And so when I thought, oh, I'm just, I'm taking this and I'm taking that and I'm combining it and you know, it's super easy. It is a chemistry formulation when you're in food and beverage. And so it was a big learning curve for me. But once we did get our you know, commercial formulation going, then it was raising money. Now, just think about that. I'm a person of color. I'm a female founder. I've never been in this industry you, you before. You worked at a blood bank prior to this. I worked in a blood bank and I was also pregnant or I was toting around a newborn in a car seat and I was trying to nurse her in between meetings. It was an impossible banking situation. So we had to go the hard way. We had to go family and friends, which is very typical. And, you know, I think the second uh, really hard time was when you are raising an institutional round with angel investors and family offices, uh, and by the way, 2.5% of venture capital goes towards female founded businesses. I don't even know what it is if you're also a person of color, but it's gotta be less. It's for sure, yeah. And, uh, there, there's just so much um, to overcome and challenges of, of raising money. But 
you know, there's a lot of talk about you just have to get your first anchor investor. And once you get your anchor investor on board, then the other investors will kind of get off the fence and get on online. And so I worked, I got through all of my no's and there was like a sea of no's for a variety of reasons. And so, and I was so excited when I finally got an anchor investor for $100,000. And it was a huge amount that was going to take up at least half of the round that we were raising at the time. And within 48 hours, he called and he backed out. He said, I don't know what I'm doing in food and bev. Like, you know, I have apparel and CPG and, and this just seems like it's not a good idea because I don't know anything about food and bev. And it felt like that game of, you know, shoots and ladders where you just fall all the way down of course. And you have to all over again. And it was so incredibly frustrating and hard because you did get a lot of no's. Either my formula wasn't good enough or, you know, I didn't coordinate this or, or develop it with a chef or someone with a trained palate or I didn't have the experience or I didn't have the traction or I didn't have the team. It was all of these things that you have to get through and so I realized it was actually a really important blessing. It was an early lesson for me that, you know, the, the success of this brand, the success of this company, is not ever going to be bound to one person, one investor, one critical team member. It's going to be whether or not I choose to give up or whether or not I can choose to get around this obstacle. So after crying and feeling actually, sorry for yeah. For, you know, for a good half a day, I decided, you know what, it's just one person who has money and there will be another person who sees what we're doing, who is convinced and who will take a chance to say, you know, Madeline may not come from the traditional sense, but disruptive products never come from industry veterans. They come from outsiders. That's why insurgent brands come from outside the industry. That's why when you wanna benchmark and get inspiration, you go outside of your industry. So one of the things that I'm really passionate about is you know, at some point with Netflix, I wanna make it easier for women and for other people of color to access investors, to access that capital to grow their business and be able to to illuminate to you know investors that it's okay if we have an untraditional path. Mm -hmm. I, to I totally agree. I, I just hope that there's a day very soon where we can, you know, agree that a child needs to be fed, but also uh, that we deserve to be in a meeting um, of the caliber that you were in during that phase. But I'm I'm dying to know now. Okay, did you end up getting? after that, you know, another guy or another gal with some money that wanted to partner with you. We did. We did. And not only have we gone from our family and friends round to institutional rounds, you know, what I had said, 2.5% of venture capital goes to female founded businesses. We've even gone on to, to have, you know, um, private equity funding too. And so as our business has grown, as we've gone into national retail accounts like Walmart, like Target, we've been able to grow our our line, grow our products from just a single single serves to you know multiple sizes like our refrigerated size, our new products like our upcoming barista oat line, and so it takes capital to be able to do that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So. 
when we have found great partners, whether or not it's for our team or whether or not it's our investors, it's really accelerated our brand and our growth. So you, so, so that guy changed his mind. He's like, eh, I'm, I'm, I'm in a different business. I'm not about this. Have you heard from him again? Do you think he regrets that decision at all, seeing where you are now? I think he sees that we're still in the in in the industry because it's we're in every grocery store. <laughs> right, you're everywhere. Area and so and um, but whether or not he regrets it or not, I don't really spend my time on that. He taught me a lesson that I needed to learn early on, and it was to not entrust the success of this you know company or this brand to one person. And so for that, I'm grateful for that lesson. Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting response uh, about that. I'm, I myself am curious what he's thinking, but that's just me. That's my job, right? To be curious about these types of situations. I, I also want to hear about what it feels like. A lot, a lot of people, can, you know, have done sort of a, a family and friends round, and I've always thought, when you when you see the family members, are they like, you know, at Christmas dinner, they're like, all right, so how's that nut pod thing going? Does it? Did you feel like an extra pressure because the, the money's coming from loved ones? I was running for my life and on adrenaline for the first three years because, you know, my family and friends, I mean, they, they invested in me because they loved me because they wanted to support a dream that I had. I mean, we, I am my, one of my sisters, she will always be extra special to me because she took out $20,000 on a cash advance on her credit card. Do you know the interest rates on those? I do. I have goosebumps. I have goosebumps because of the love. Also, goosebumps because the anxiety because yes I know the interest rates she could not afford to lose even that $20,000 I had you know a really great high school friend who was newly divorced and she said I think I have a better chance you know taking a bet on you than to put it in the in the market where it's earning I don't know zero point three percent in interest on a cd ladder and so these people loved me and they took a chance on me and i wanted to make sure that they didn't lose their money so absolutely and that's part of what fuels you in the beginning is because it's not just success for yourself it's not just the desire to help people with your products but it's also you know to give to pay these people back that took a chance on you and so there is a very special role on those angel investors that come on early take a chance on you risk the failure rates that are just higher risk than the investors that come later in your stage and how does that work do they know okay in a certain amount of time i may have something back or i may say be saying goodbye to it forever so everyone went in eyes wide open to say, if you invest in me, you have to be okay that you stand more than a 50% chance that you know you, you might be able to lose it. And so despite my best efforts, because I don't care what, what entrepreneur you talk to, I mean, they can try and make it be that they saw everything coming and that they perfectly planned everything. No matter what, there are curveballs that come. There's a good amount of luck. I never could have predicted COVID would have happened and that we would be stuck at home uh, for as long as we were, drinking coffee, doing our jobs, uh, going to school. You know, there's been a fundamental shift from coffee, from cafes and restaurants back to home. That is luck. I had nothing to do with that, um, but it helped our business. And so, you know, at the same time, 
there's also other things that are outside of our control. We were there taking an early bed on e-com, you know, being available on Amazon for that overnight distribution. But the rate in which e-com has been adopted, prime memberships, all of that, that also is just another factor, you know, towards our success. And so they knew going in that they could lose the money. They, they had trust that I would do my very best to be good stewards of their money and use it wisely and be scrappy with it. But um, yeah, they, they knew and I would have to look them in the eye and to say, you know, I did the best I could and I continue to do the best I can. And so, Today. and the investment continues, I'm guessing. Have these people gotten their money back and now you're on to different investors? Um, yes, so so some of them have been able to be repaid, and so and they're they're happy, and you know they were part of our story for a little bit, and so and others have continued to just go along with the ride, and so everything everything comes with a different risk profile for each of your different investors along the way. Listen, what I'm excited for is for when I go to like a little diner or cafe, and then there's the little nut pods for my coffee and you're I mean you're really expanding quite a bit like a bunch of new flavors all kinds of new stuff what's what's coming next for the company well we realized that with our coffee creamer line we had great products for drip coffee drinkers and so but that shift came back home in at-home coffee consumption you know skyrocketed and so we realized gosh a lot of people brought espresso machines that they want to have the cappuccino and their lattes at home and so for them we decided all right if we're going to get into the barista milk how are we going to do it so it's still consistent with nut pods so this is our zero sugar so no matter whether or not you're a drip coffee drinker and you want our our creamer line or whether or not you want to have you know a beautifully frothed oat latte you can still have that with all of the tenants that people have grown to know about nut pods quality ingredients, zero grams of sugar, plant-based deliciousness. Such, such deliciousness. I wanted to talk to you about something else that is, you know, again, it's like when you started this company, I'm sure there's so many things that you didn't envision, like different challenges and things that you didn't envision you'd be dealing with. And now we're in this era of people has have worked from home. Now some people are back, a lot of people doing hybrid. How have you managed that with your team and what's, what are you doing at Nut Pods? Is everybody back in the office? Are people working from home? How are you? How are you um, managing that? So for us, another part of Black is that we started as a virtual company, and so we had a lot of um, just DNA remote working as a team in the ethos of our of our brand. So we're comfortable with video. We're comfortable with Dropbox and file sharing and things like that. So we had a lot of the infrastructure that made us able to pivot very quickly when we went to remote learning. You know the. The thing about our products and our brand is that most of the most of the jobs can be done remotely, and so we do have some office-based duties and and um, job positions, and they continue to come in on a hybrid. But that's where I think we will remain. Is that what I've learned as a leader for for our company is that flexibility is really important. It's probably one of the most important things that we can have in this life. And so being able to be home when our kids get off the school bus is important. It's important to be able to take time off to, you know, get the work done, okay. absolutely, and be accountable for that work. But the flow of that work, I don't need someone to come in nine to five to show me that they're doing their job because the results and being able to see that they're doing their job is enough for me. And if they are a happier, 
employee by having the flexibility to work from home when they want, coming into the work when they want, then that's how we build happier employees and team members who not only connect with the mission and our products of what we do, but also to each other and being able to have a lifestyle that, that suits their, them and their family. What advice do you have for CEOs or even uh, lower level managers who say, if I don't have somebody in front of me in the office, I can't see that they're getting anything done. I don't think they're being productive at home. I would say you are not either having the systems in place in which you can validate and hold people accountable, or you need to work on your trust because you need to be able to have a team where they can trust you to assume positive intent and that they're doing their jobs to the best of their ability, you need to be able to trust that they will also get their work done and be committed to what the company is working towards. And so, you know, having this type of situation where you you can't trust the individual unless they're in front of you, there are, there are tools that you can have in place to validate, um, but there's also like at the stem of it is just the relationship you have with your team members on your team. And, you know, one of the things that I often say is that um, just like, you know, Porter says, culture eats strategy for lunch. And it's like we are a 32 person company in in the Seattle area competing against big publicly held companies. And our products may be superior. We have a lot of smart, talented, experienced people, but you know what, so do they. But the thing that makes our team a little bit different and how we're able to not only successfully compete, but out-compete some of these larger publicly held companies is because the passion and the commitment on the team. And that's not something that I take for granted and it's not something that happens, it's something that's cultivated. Yeah, I so appreciate what you're saying and I think you're spot on. I mean, friends of mine that are looking for work right now, you know, it's it's hybrid or it's stay at home or, or it's work from home is, is what they're looking for. Again, um, prioritizing, you know, being able to see a family member, maybe getting, getting a workout in or getting an appointment with a therapist or, you know, all these different things that we can weave into the workday while still getting our work done. So I appreciate your sentiment there. Um, do you feel like the other big companies kind of copied you? It felt like you had nut pots and then everybody else like, what? <laughs> So it's so funny because when I started out and I was telling people about nut buds, they're like, coffee creamer, non-dairy coffee creamer, that sounds sweet. Okay, good luck with that. And then I, now they just see how explosive plant-based has gotten and the movement away from sugar. And so what I say is that um, it is true that as we see our packaging, as we see our flavors, as we see uh, some of the some of the tenets of what makes nut pods nut pods be emulated from other companies of all sizes, we are flattered, and so we see ourselves in a very um, small way, kind of like Apple, where we may not have the largest market share, but we are thought of as the thought leader in our category of plant-based creamers, and so we're we're just so pleased to have had the reception to our product. And if we are able in our small part to motivate other larger players to have healthier ingredients, to have more sustainable packaging, to reduce their amounts of sugar, I think at the end of the day, our planet and our consumers win. Mm. I loved chatting with you. The time flew by. Where can everybody find you? 
I'm super easy to find. You can email me directly at madeline at nutpods.com. And you can also find us on social media as well. We love hearing from our fans. And we have a really interactive community with our pod members and our coaches. And so we just look forward to hearing from our consumers. And we look forward to bringing new products for, for you all to try. All right, Madeline Hayden, thank you so much. And thanks everybody for hanging out for another Second Shot Sit Down. I hope you found this interesting and inspirational as we talk about some of these stories. Listen, these air weekdays on CW33 in Dallas. And as always, for all the episodes, you can go to secondshotpodcast.com or search any podcast platform. Just search Second Shot Podcast and there are more interviews just like this one to hopefully intrigue you and also inspire you. And we'll talk to you soon.